When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are power ranking the 10 most consequential developments of our reading lives. We have not, and I think this is going to get us into trouble, agreed on what the, even the units are. Like, this is not drafting for the NFL. Like, here's, the, here's what a player is. We haven't broken this down. I realized when I was putting my list of 10 together, there's a lot of ways of, of carving these up. There That's are. part of the conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we can, yeah, we I can don't, talk about it that way. I don't think it's going to get us into trouble so much as that'll be what makes this interesting, mm-hmm. weird, funny, and fun. I think we should go 10 to 1. Okay. And then I we can do like we've done other power rankings. If, if my 10 is somewhere else on your list, we can mention it there yeah. and then proceed there. Um, you would you like to go first or how would you well, like to how would yeah you like i'm curious did you set yourself any other like internal criteria for how you arrived here like what well i don't know I, well i set a little for mine i thought okay. they need to be bookish phenomena most of this mm-hmm. was mostly off the dome you know stuff that i remember yes, me too. it had to be big right. enough to be memorable from the if last i didn't really day. think about it by definition it doesn't count almost. right like the yeah. last 20 25 years and i did some does it still matter kinds of mm. things so um, adult maybe... coloring books is number one on your list is what you're saying <laughs> adult coloring books as a spoiler did not make my list it made my long list as i was just sort of brainstorming i was like what are the... oh yeah that one I even d- feels weirder now is he feels totally, weird. It felt weird in the moment, and it feels yeah. weirder now. I totally forgot about that one. It did not make my long list. <laughs> <laughs> so here, like adult coloring books are keeping publishing afloat. You remember yes, those stories? Yes, I do. I do remember that, and I do. I remember when they were everywhere, mm-hmm. and that we were like, "How long can this last?" <laughs> kind of. I mean, very... they did fine, but that would have been a real pandemic mood. That's true. It's yeah. interesting. Well, I guess that they'd had their moment before then. I'm sure they made some kind of mild resurgence when everybody, like when you couldn't get jigsaw puzzles anywhere, <laughs> maybe coloring books came back. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's, I mean, it, instead of coloring, we made sourdough. Um, mm-hmm, right. No, okay, not so, really. I mean, it had okay. to be bookish. I guess some of these are larger phenomenon that okay. reached their bony hands into the world of books and reading. Yeah, some of mine are that, and then some of mine were things where, like, I thought of something that was part of a larger phenomenon. I was like, oh, I don't know if I uh, want to mention that thing on its own. So I have Yeah, I did a little of that. Yeah, yeah, I did okay. some of that, too. I'll say All this. Right. I only have one specific book, and even that's okay. not quite right. But I, 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 we could have done that, which is a different list, uh-huh. um, where you have, I don't know, the phenomenon books, the... Life changing magic of tidying up, Gone okay. Girl, Da Vinci Code. I, only one something like that made my list, and you could probably have, guess what it is because it's I have a couple of those, but mm. most of them are also connected to other things. So okay, okay. I, we're already getting yeah, the picture yeah. that we're gonna have pretty different right. lists. Which talking about talking about welcome to talking podcast. about talking about, and I guess the top note there is more than ten really interesting big things have happened in the world of books and yes. reading in the last twenty five years. <laughs> yes, they have. We could do honorable mentions maybe at the end. Sure. Didn't make it. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, what's your 10? Okay, number 10 for mine. This was something I had been kind of noodling on, and then enough of our patrons mentioned it in their suggestions for it. Hmm. I'm calling this the gone girl on the train with the, the dragon tattoo who fell from the sky. And it was the surge of titles for a while that had girl in them. And how that was big enough that Emily St. John Mandel collected Goodreads data on it and wrote a whole piece for the 538 yeah, blog. Right? Like I went That's back right. to find it and I was like, oh, this was on 538, which is fascinating. Um, but I, I tacked it as kind of starting at 2008 with the girl with the dragon tattoo, which as a side note was a contender on my long list by itself because of how much yep. it sold, but it didn't also cross doesn't the... matter now. No one thinks right, about it, those exactly. Books it did not cross the lasting impact line um gone girl came out in 2012 and then the girl on the train replicated both the girl element of that and the unreliable narrator big twist kind of thing so yeah i remembered gone girl happening i definitely remember all of these like everybody's trying to be the next gone girl and you have to have a girl and it's maybe an unreliable narrator and sort of tracing it back in terms of like changing the industry not a long-term impact on the industry i don't think but it was such a big thing yeah. for a while and i yeah that one came up in i my tried to shoehorn gone girl into a larger <laughs> phenomenon and maybe i did in a minute when we get to my number eight pick okay um but the the female driven psychological thriller would be my way of putting, c- kind see. of putting that all into one thing but yeah, that's not gone what i picked girl. but i that's what i would have maybe yeah one of my gone that. girl notes was like this launched a million female revenge thrillers <laughs> yeah yeah it, it did. It really did. What'd My you have number, for number 10, ten, Oprah. Number ten. Oh, Oprah's you Oprah book at ten. We could talk. I didn't know what else to do with her. We, we could talk <laughs> about this. I mean, okay. What do I need to say about Oprah? I did not make it part of. I did not make it the exemplar of celebrity book clubs or book recommendations, because I think Oprah, in the moment, created this as we know it now, and anyone who's out there now is a pale imitation. Yes. Not 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 in terms of rigor or anything else like that, but in terms of moving units, in terms of supremacy in the space. We have Reese and Good Morning America and today's book club. You know, we've got some of this stuff now, but Oprah was moving millions of units of Faulkner packs. I don't know what else to say about. It. I mean, that's the, that's that that is the single thing I can say that proves everything else. Yeah, I had Oprah at five, sort of right okay. in the middle. And as I was making my list, and it, she moved up and down a lot. I think at one point she was at like three, and at one point she was at seven or eight. So I just sort of stuck her in the middle. Um, interesting to me that Oprah ran from 19, the, the original book club ran from 1996 to 2011, like a 15-year run, yeah. more than that. Um yeah, no, 15. That's so long before Oprah's Club 2.0 kicked off, which launched with Wild, which huge thing on its own. Um, yeah. The material I could find estimated that of the 70 titles that she had featured across those 15 years, which is both more and fewer titles than I thought was <laughs> going to come up over 15 years, um, estimated that she had moved more than 55 million copies 
of them. And maybe the most interesting thing to me was looking back through them, how few of those 70 ended up being big things. Like at the time, living in the time of the Oprah Book Club, it felt like every single one of these is going to be a blockbuster bestseller and probably all of them sold more books than they would have. Oh, I mean, it's not hadn't even talked close. about them. But looking through the list now, it's like the story of Edgar Sawtell, the House of Sand and Fog, the Poisonwood Bible, White Oleander, and Wally Lamb. Plus the fact that she got a bunch of people to, to read Fog. That was really the that's like that was like the murderer's row when she would move a million units just by doing it by having yeah. White Oleander and, be on the show. And that got me thinking about all of the celebrity book clubs today and how we talk about how very few of the titles that they select, yep. you know, become bestsellers, at least in any way that's attributable to that celebrity book club. And it was like, right, outliers have always been outliers. And even there were even outliers among what Oprah picked for, for the ones that really, really went wild. So that was at five for me. Yeah, I think, well, I can talk maybe maybe every pick i have to do from here to 5 i have to explain why it's higher why it's higher than on than than 5 i think okay. one of the demerits to oprah for me was i looked at the list and morrison gum morrison so i can't give oprah credit for morrison maybe in the popular imagination but you look at the rest like who else do we care about on that list anymore oh there's yeah, not I as think... many like like who are you reading now I mean, maybe I was, Barbara King Solver. I, I was I thinking less about the particular titles than about having brought the uh, literary appreciation into yeah. mainstream pop culture. Uh, that's 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 fair. My only my counter to that would be that book of the month. Like I'm uh, not now, but like in the mm. '40s, was getting white people to read Native Son, five hundred thousand copies sure. a month. Like yeah. that's been done a little bit before. Everything else on my list sort of hasn't been done before, and I think has more staying power. In a, in the, and again, Oprah's on my list, no question. I was surprised when I did my list that I thought Oprah would have been higher. But some of it is how I broke some other stuff out. Let's get on okay. with the list. Now I'm talking yeah, about did, one thing for Why six. don't you take your number nine? I'm nine. Number nine is the Harry Potter series. That's <gasps> okay. I had Harry Potter at three. This is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we can talk about that too. It's singular. I mean, it could be higher for this reason, which is in a hundred years, I think people are going to be like, what Harry Potter came out in the late nineties. Like, like we know that the Hobbit came out in the thirties mm -hmm. or that, you know, catch 22 came out in the fifties. It will define an era in terms of that's, that's the thing we remember from that or one of the handful of things we remember from that period, from a readings point of view. I think some of the other stuff is more pillars of the earth that I have higher on the list, but from a singular pop, property book series whatever it's the one that will it's the highest peak so the one that will erode the last um I, I just don't think there's any question about it for all the stuff about rolling and everything after the fact mm -hmm. and if there's not an extended universe you know it, it kind of hasn't happened she hasn't been interested in happening i think the politics are uh playing a part too the dumbledore stuff wasn't a success you know what it doesn't matter no there's no fandom like a harry potter fandom still there hasn't been anything like it it's the star wars for that generation um. Yeah. So there. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys about it. Yeah. I had it so high up mine at three. Like five hundred million copies of these books have been sold around the world, and I think now we're on the third generation of readers growing up with them. And all the all the standard caveats, as you were saying about 
rolling but like birth to theme park there was the pottermore thing they've tried it the spin-off books and movies it's continuing to get licensed into new stuff i saw this week because folks in my instagram feed were, were critiquing it that american girl has introduced harry potter costumes for the american girl sure. dolls like this it's just you on, know why they do it, that because they like money yeah yeah it's it's just everywhere and it'll i think continue to be one and just one of the biggest phenomena i think there's really some um as I was thinking about this too, like lived experience stuff of I was a bookseller oh, when the last yeah. books were coming out and planning parties and watching the pre-orders come in and feel having families come in and ask about the books or look, watch like getting to watch a bunch of kids have that experience with those books and what it meant um, as well before we knew the things that we know about J.K. Rowling. Just a pure delight um, to, to read those things at the time and to watch that happen with families i hadn't ever seen i hadn't seen anything like that i don't think that we will see a, a no. series do that it was unbe it was unimaginable beforehand yeah. unbelievable yeah. at the time and we're still remarkable even though we yeah. knew it happened it's still yeah, like, i think wow, very huge deal difficult if not impossible to duplicate yeah um, um what's number nine on your list my number nine was this We've, we've been joking for years about calling peak adaptation and that we are giving up on <laughs> trying to call peak adaptation, but really the way that streaming services and, and movies, I think it's gr grown out of this bigger thing where streamers and movie uh, pr production companies want real IP with an established audience. They're not doing a whole lot of just original stuff that's written for TV anymore, and when you have a bunch of books from mm -hmm. centuries of literary history stuff's getting like we've made it through as we've talked about on the main show we've made it through like the top tier of big things people wanted to see adapted we're into like you know white noise which came out in 1989 and now noah bombbox put, putting it on netflix and it feels like it will never end which i I'm kind of fine with there's a lot of great literature in the world that makes for great adaptation. And the thing that got me wondering was, could somebody go and do a like, what percent of popular entertainment was based on a book before like 2016? Uh, and what percentage I did a blog about this on now? the Reading Ape a million years ago where I looked at the top 100 IMDb rated movies and said, what mm. percentage of them were based on a book? It was a lot. I don't remember. Is it more or less now? I don't know. I think there's just well, a lot and, more TV now. So I don't know yeah, if the percentages change. There's just a lot more shit. Maybe so. And even if you are, you know, it doesn't even need to be top rated. Just of all the yeah. stuff out there, how much of it is based on books? I would be, you might be right. It might just be the same percentage of a much bigger seed. Mm -hmm. It just, it feels like it's a bigger percentage of a bigger C to me. I thought about this on my list and I left it off for this reason. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but this reason. It feels like the, even though there's more adaptations, being an adapted matters less than it did before this for the book world. Well, yeah, I think it dilutes the, for the book yeah. world, it dilutes the impact because everything's adapted now. But it's interesting to me to see literary culture really infiltrate that pop culture in that way so extensively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was your nine? That was my nine. Um, okay, my number. Oh, you, why don't you do eight then? I'll yeah, you can, well, we can sort of snake yeah. it around. My yeah. eight is the Da Vinci Code. This is definitely personal experience stuff. Like it came out in two thousand three. It was in hardcover for six years, and it sold eighty million copies in hardcover in those six years. As a frame of reference, where the Crawdads Sing has sold twelve mil had sold twelve million copies total by July of this year, and that sucker is already out in paperback. So like. Mm. It outsold 
It was outsold in the year it was published only by Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. It had that huge conspiracy theory phenomenon around it. It's blockbuster popcorn kind of writing. As we've talked about, it launched a million late night history channel shows about all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the religious element to it, I think, has to be what drove it. Like Dan Brown's other books are fun, but Angels and Demons didn't pick up in this way. The thing he was presenting the ideas he was presenting were you know bigger and potentially more dangerous they were certainly perceived that way by the catholic church and and the movie did close to 800 million dollars at the box office like it's it was just enormous everybody was talking about it and the idea that that was the book that caused such an uproar seems like very quaint to me now yes was a piece of it too. You wore a Mickey Mouse watch, Rebecca. Right. That's that's what we're talking about. Like this is the thing that this, this is the thing people were so upset about 20 years ago. (laughs) Just real. There's some real perspective there as I was thinking about it. I think this might have been the last big reading phenomenon of the, before the, like the the pre-Kindle, pre-e-reading, also pre-2008 recession world like this was the last book that sold like that and it was this kind of phenomenon now you only need to sell 12 million copies like crawdads to be a big deal thought about da vinci code it certainly was a phenomenon and a peak the reason i left it off is no historic no impact there's no Mm. no one followed that train it was a cultural cul-de-sac yeah I violated my own rule for this one because I was like, man, Dan Brown. <laughs> it, it was a phenomenal. And again, if we were doing it this slightly, and then we, again, this is sort of the fun. If we would have agreed on this a little bit differently, it would have made my list if we're thinking about book-related, yeah. pheno- book like specific book and property-related phenomena. I, uh, I guess that's a good segue to my eight, mm-hmm. which is the mainstreaming of genre. And it, ah. Da Vinci Code's part of that. Harry Potter's part of it. Gone Girl's part of it. Twilight's part of it. Fifty Shades of Grey is part of it. Colson Whitehead's a part, you know, like, Mm-hmm. The, the 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 normalization of reading it's all a part of the genre coming to I don't know if it's literary fiction coming back to the pack the pack coming up but they're kind of all swimming in the same pool and it's hard to remember now and like when I was a kid this was it I don't know if it was an adult but there were not adults reading Harry Potter when I was nine or anything oh, true, like that true. when I was mm-hmm. a kid I came back from a bachelor party and read Harry Potter seven hung over on the plane. <laughs> that that's my example of how normal. <laughs> now I'm abnormal, but I'm I was normal for the moment. That wasn't a weird thing no. for a twenty four year old to do. <laughs> but it would have been a weird thing in ninety one. Yeah, that's true. The first Harry Potter movie came out my I think freshman year in college and Bob's roommate. I hadn't heard of Harry Potter. Bob's roommate, yeah. I think, had read the first book, recruited us to go see the movie. And then we came back and proceeded to read the rest of the books as they came out. But, like, when else were a bunch of 21-year-olds or 18, right. however old we were, going to see kids' movies and reading wizard books in, you know, that were written for children in prior generations? Really, And then you can, I mean, you put on Fifty Shades in there and you put in the Hunger Games mm-hmm. in there. It's like really this moment where the genre, and Da Vinci Code, too, which is a thriller, right? And bestsellers in the past it's a little hard to remember like james michener was the best-selling novel for like four years in a row jonathan livingston siegel like these are real middle brow literary fiction titles 
Um, you see the Cimmerillion in 72, but you really don't see this kind of like a, a real fantasy or a real category romance or something like that, which, you know, we uh, Bridgerton or other things like that. Like, it's super normal to read fantasy now. Just, yeah. just to read it. Yeah. It just is. I thought about something kind of like this for my list that was just like the internet exists because <laughs> I yeah. think that we can trace all of this back I've to... carved that up. Uh, uh, wait for the rest of the list. I've carved that up a little bit. Into, but yes, okay. I completely okay, yeah. agree I have, with you. Yeah. I have some similar kinds of dividing lines, but so much of that mainstreaming of genre, I think, traces back to the fact that like literary recommendations aren't just made by newspaper sections newspaper book sections by like 10 people with a lot of power the the democratization of the conversation around books and reading which we've been a part of here at this Mm -hmm. idea cloud called book riot led to all of that led to voices for people who read genre who had always been reading genre but allowed them to find each other which seeing bigger groups of people normalizes yep. the thing and makes it less of an outlier and all of that gives permission to writers who thought that they needed to stay literary well now there are now you can see all these readers who might be interested in your not super literary or your genre literary thing and there are places that will cover them and you will have a shot at publicity all of that and i was like i, I couldn't figure out do i want this on my list is it maybe number one on my list mm-hmm. or does it just color everything? So I left it, I left it off, but I think it impacts so many of the pieces. Yeah. Stay tuned um, okay. for more from me here. So that was All my right. seven rise of genre. That, okay. That was your seven. Yeah. Okay. No, um, eight. Eight. That was your eight. Me. Okay. Me. Eight. Yes. Yeah. So you get to kick off seven. Oh, um, and my number seven is last of my more everything above seven on my list is like pillars of the earth structural stuff. So the last okay. thing that's maybe more specific is I I put in we need diverse books as the kind of the placeholder, but the mm. the move towards inclusion and representation in books and reading. Yes, I don't I don't know what else to say about it. That that's from a content point of view, I think the biggest development in my reading life. It's so 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 much different than 91, 92, 90. It's almost hard. It's almost more of a difference than some of the other things on my list in terms of how different reading is. But I I can't explain to people who weren't around in the late 90s, there's still a lot of work to go. We're not in the Mm -hmm. promised land yet, never will be under white supremacies and the patriarchy. But the number of steps behind us on the staircase I'm not, I wouldn't even thought that we would have started this staircase when I was 13. I didn't even know there was a staircase to climb. Let me put it that way in my own worldview. And I've learned a lot myself. But I think from a historical cultural history point of view, this is what we study in English class mm-hmm. into the future um, from this era. Yeah, I had this as number six, but as the sort of diversification of both new books that are coming out and the way we think about what makes up the canon. That Mm -hmm. I think if you went back and told me in 1997 in my freshman English class that we would, by the time I was an adult, we would be talking about like, why do we need to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird as the example of a book that can teach kids about racism or Huck Finn? And shouldn't we be featuring stories instead that are by and about people of Mm -hmm. color that it's both the expansion of the market and the expansion of canonization of titles how we think about what should go in the canon 
whose voice gets to tell which kind of story. Um, but that yeah, the whole that whole movement um, has been so big, and I, I think it's hard to realize. I think inside any movement, especially inside any political movement, it never feels like it's going as fast as you want it to. And it never feels like you've gotten as far as you should have gotten. And all of this is moved forward so much, too, by the Internet, as I was just saying, of like, where do I put the Internet in all of these things? But for really how few years in the life of publishing, this has been a, a topic of conversation and that it's not just a topic of conversation in little nooks and crannies of the internet but mainstream publishing is issuing statements and like doing audits of their staff and doing audits of their catalogs they're doing those things because they've been pushed to by readers but enough readers that they're taking it seriously and mainstream publications now care about this book awards care about not just having you know five white guys as the finalists for things or you know only more white people than cats on the lineup of book con that's not a thing we would it's not a thing we would would never see. see it anymore Today you and went that from was, it being normal to unthinkable right, for someone and that to do was something like, like that. Half Four a dozen years, years ago, six years ago, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it has those things have moved pretty quickly, and that gives me a lot of hope for how much more progress can be made. So yeah, I had this same concept really at, at six. Okay, yeah. So we're kind of in the same ballpark mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that was my, my seven, seven meaningly over to seven for you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, my seven was the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon. Okay. That it this was sixty million copies. It came out in early twenty twelve from the Penguin Random House versions. It had sold more than sixty million copies by the end of that year. And this is after the internet exists. This is after the recession of two thousand eight. It's I I think after Borders had closed. Um, sort of. 60 million copies is a huge deal. It prompted, as we talk about all the time, the $5,000 bonuses for everybody at Penguin Random House, Mm -hmm. which having looked at the Da Vinci Code numbers, I was like, okay, so Da Vinci Code sold 80 million copies. That was spread out over, that was 80 million in the first six years, so spread out over six years. Nobody at PRH at that time was like, wow, this Da Vinci book is moving. Everybody gets a bonus. So it tells us something about the impact of 60 million copies of a book on the economics of a publishing house there. That was the same year that Gone Girl and Wild came out. It's the first big Oprah, post-Oprah word of mouth hit, I think, The Fifty Shades of Grey is. There was a movie, you know, all of those other things. I don't think it has long-term impact for that book. I don't think people are going to be reading Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, in 50 years. I don't think many people are reading it now, but it launched erotica into more mainstream reading and... And the fact that the book that was the huge word of mouth hit was about a relatively taboo subject was also just a huge deal. I think this was and part you kind of get that. Twilight for free by picking Fifty Shades, right? Yeah, I mean, that, I that was a had, whole other phenomenon as well. Yeah, I had in my notes that I I didn't put Twilight on my top ten list because I think the long term impact of Twilight is less than the long term impact mm. or the like pieces of the industry that this Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon represented so that was my seven so then six up to six up to six to you then over to six for me yeah well my six was diversification of everything Mm -hmm. and my five was oprah so okay so i've got a couple to catch (laughs) up yeah you got a few here so ten nine eight seven six my six is writing about books online Mm. so note note the writing because i got to save some other stuff online blogs the book riot 
version of writing that, you know, Paste mm-hmm. and BuzzFeed and Bustle and a lot of other people have done that. Lists, user reviews. I'm throwing fan fiction in this as well into oh, this sure. category. Mm-hmm. I'm even putting self-publishing writ large into this category. The kinds of writing that the internet and the web allowed that really self-publishing on before that we called it vanity press there but there were distributions and economic models that online world opened up for sites like ours but then the connectivity goodreads i put in this list other people Mm -hmm. writing about books on online allowed people to write about books in ways that they either couldn't before or if they did they were doing in their basement and no one was reading it um and it really ate the review-centric, the mainstream media review-centric world of books ate it alive. It just ate it alive. And the consequences of that, I think, are a lot of a lot of it is downstream, like you said. Like genre, Harry Potter, I think We Need Diverse Books has a lot to, a lot of that impact was made possible and or amplified mm-hmm. by the diversity of voices in a flattening of platform that the internet allowed and that's twitter and that but this is writing about books online i've got some other stuff about online (laughs) coming up but just this is the text-based thing and this was the earlier days and i and even someone like me my early days of reading about books online was reading maud newton's blog reading mark savis's the elegant variation Mm -hmm. um you know reading there was a john warner's the second pass he's now the book editor at the washington post you and I wrote blogs and we run a company. I mean, like, right. that's just us. And there's it's people wild. like this all over the place. Um, and I think this is a downstream effect from some of the things above it on the list. But I think things below it are a downstream. So I think it's right in the middle for me, writing about books online. Number that six. seems right. If I had found a place to put the cloud of Internet stuff on my list, yeah. which I kind of wish that I had i think this would have that middle spot is about where i would have stuck it so that was your six uh yeah so i'm up to five yep mm-hmm. I, this is where i have social media for books this okay. is instagram youtube tiktok i don't know what to say i think maybe it's recency bias i don't know if you have this without the first wave of writing about books online but the modern social media landscape multimedia video especially image and video is the next natural extension of connecting with people mm-hmm. um, and getting your message, your opinion, your voice, your point of view out into the world. It's a bigger deal now than writing about books online was, even though I don't think you have one with, I don't think you have social media influence without blogs and, and good read reviews and everything that came before. Um, but it's a bigger deal now. No blog ever moved the number of books that TikTok moves. Oh no. No, no YouTube channel that I've ever heard of. YouTube, I, I don't remember ever hearing this was a YouTube hit, uh, a book. But no, TikTok and Instagram short form video is now the the hot, the it girl. You know, mm-hmm. of books and reading. I don't know how long her reign will last. Um, <laughs> we've seen this come and go, but right now the peak is as high of an influencing peak as anything we've seen. And you know, there's a lot of way of looking at Oprah, Book of the Month historically. Word of mouth is. How do you get the people that are kind of interested in books, but they don't really know, they don't have purchase to hang on to. They're kind of looking for something to be picked for them or see social proof of other people talking about it. This is a peer-to-peer version of word of mouth or the Celebrity Book Club or Book of the Month that we've never really seen before. In hindsight, it makes a lot of sense 
um, I'm so fascinated to see where it goes from here. So this is this is the most current one. Um, this is the most vibrant, the most new molten lava out of the volcano that hasn't quite <laughs> yet hardened into new earth. So that's um, uh, number five for me. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have social media by itself, like or as a larger concept on the list, because I I kind of was coming from the thought of anywhere that you gather people, they're going to talk about their interests. And so where you have people who are interested in books, that's going to be one of the things that comes up. But the places where, and I, I don't feel like we've seen it explode really until book talk. So this segues that yeah. my number four is book talk. Yeah. <laughs> that like, there wasn't like a, a blog hit. There were hits among bloggers and people who read mm -hmm. blogs, but there were not bestsellers produced because so many people in the world were reading book blogs and went and bought the thing that bloggers were talking about. And same for Instagram before Reels, you know, yeah. Instagram or Facebook, or as you were saying, YouTube or Tumblr, like none of the prior social media things we've been obsessed with, Snapchat, whatever, um, produced real world hits outside of those communities. There were always big books within the communities but book talk is doing something different um i think book talk yeah, that, is the, that, go ahead go ahead i say i think book talk is the oprah of 2022 absolutely yeah that, there's no question you know, they're the best estimates are that 20 million copies of books were sold last year because of book talk recommendations or uh, copies of books that are our big book talk features it's on track for 40 or more this year Selling a book to 40 million people or even to, you know, 10 million people is much, much harder now than it was pre-internet. Like we had a monoculture <laughs> before the internet. Oprah could go on TV yep. and be like, go read Faulkner. And millions she was directing, of people. I think that's a great, that's a great way. Of, she was directing the single eye she of was. culture, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Oprah would say, go read Faulkner, and millions of people would go read Faulkner, and Oprah was the only voice in the room. And now we're all in all the rooms all the time. And so for any of the things that any one of us recommends to catch on with enough other people or for enough other people to be interested in that thing at the same time that it rises to the level of, even in my Crawdads versus Da Vinci Code example, of selling 12 million copies, that's a, 12 million copies is a really big deal now. 20 million copies of books for, because of TikTok or 40 or however many they reach this year is a really big deal now. And it's much, much harder than it was before the internet because of just the massive stuff that's out there, how much harder it is to rise to the top. Like the other side of this is that algorithms can kind of create monocultures <laughs> by showing well, that's people. What I see, that's the other spatial sauce of the TikTok reels, reels being a clone of TikTok. Yeah. There was social media before the algorithm and social media after. Yes. And that's the algorithm is that that's the the bit that's been flipped that seems to have unleashed something that was maybe available in you know there Twitter hits for books, mm -hmm. Twitter is social media, but it doesn't have the same kind of voracious lighter fluid on the fire effect right. that the TikTok TikTok like algorithm has. And just fewer users. It's still something like less than 15% yeah. of Americans right. are on Twitter. That's a, a small and particular pool to be swimming in most of the time. Book talk is, TikTok in general is much, much bigger. And I think the fact that it's the kind of platform that it is, plus this, it's mostly young people. This is a book trend driven by young people. <laughs> and the, the rest of these, the, you know, Oprah, Fifty Shades of Grey, I mean, Twilight was driven by 
young people and parents. Harry Potter was driven by young people and Hunger their parents. Games. Reading them. Hunger Games, yes. Da Vinci Code is adult. But this has started with the youths and made its way into adult reading culture. Like, you know, now, as you were saying, everybody's soccer mom friends are reading Colleen Hoover um, because they have made their way to TikTok and are, are seeing it now as well. But just what what tiktok has done for these particular titles and for whatever the next titles are people will get interested in on the platform is unlike anything before and probably unlike anything that will come after it has to do with the kind of information that's served with the ways that they serve it with what that algorithm is doing but like 40 million copies of a handful of books because it's what colleen hoover is in like eight of the top 10 publishers weekly spots right now yeah it's just bananas. It is it's, bananas. It's wild. Well, and that's the reason we that that was the inception for this idea. It's like, where do we put this on our list? Yeah. We're trying to give ourselves some context for this. And you could talk to us in two years and that I will strip away the social media thing and it will be TikTok by itself. We'll stand mm-hmm. alone. The reason it's not higher on my list now is that as huge as it is in some categories, it's kind of limited. To, you look at the sales numbers. It's kind of limited to adult fiction, a little fantasy. Mm-hmm. It hasn't broken out into children's and nonfiction and literary and other. Maybe it will eventually, but for right now, it hasn't had an. Everything else higher on my list is everything. It affects everything. So that's the okay. only reason it's not higher on my list. So that's that was Fair your enough. five. That was my that's four. Your five? That was your four. So my yeah. four is Barnes and Noble. Hard hmm. to remember now. But the mode of book buying before Barnes and Noble was indie bookstores and a B. Dalton in some malls. Barnes Noble brought the idea of merchandising books to a completely different level, also introduced meaningful discounting and carrying a bunch of stuff. It's still around. I think a lot of things down the list are also affected by a Barnes and Noble. You didn't have to, you could live in a suburb and get a new Harry Potter title. In the old days, you'd have to order away for a book. You'd have to go to the indie bookstore. Where's my, it was your Molly being to carry this stuff. Barnes and Noble, giant displays even now of Harry Potter stuff, enables the mass marketing and merchandising, sidelines, paperbacks, all kinds of stuff that really started kicked off in 91, 92, really by 96, really by, you've got mail, right? It's peak mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble influence. Because Amazon had launched a couple of years before, but Barnes & Noble was the big bad guy that we were crushing book culture as we knew it. And you know what? You were right. And you know what? You had no idea what it portended. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, a lot of the things we understand, you know, books, movie, and TV being categorized in the same thing. We saw Hastings and Borders and other places built alongside of it. But bringing the bookstore as a big box store to the strip mall and the suburb was a huge deal. And I do wonder how much of the subsequent genre phenomenons we saw would have happened if there was no big box mm. bookstores before it. I just, yeah. I, it's a, you can't prove it, but it's hard to me to believe that Fifty Shades of Grey is a huge deal if you have to go to politics and prose to get it. Ah, uh, true. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just a, it's a thought experiment. Yeah. It's interesting. This is and the first one open, that I'm like, oh, and, sorry, go ahead. And this is, and then that opens up. I think then it's also the choke point for my top three things. Barnes and what, what okay. Barnes and Noble brought. Uh, so yeah. just a preview of things to go. This is the first one that I'm mad I didn't think to put on my <laughs> list. <laughs> and I think I must have just been in the like. Well, things you maybe were exist. young. 
I think that's a thing. You, you well, yeah, Barnes enough and Noble, younger than me. It Barnes and Noble just was in my right. life. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It wasn't like for in me. it wasn't. Yeah, for me. and I didn't. And I think when I was making my list. I was thinking things that didn't exist before the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think of Barnes and Noble as having been around before the 90s, but just, you know, sort of proliferating in that time period. But certainly it was a given for me that like yeah. the mall had a Barnes and Noble, the plaza downtown had a Barnes and Noble. You could walk into one in any city that you visited. I think you're right about this. Um, and the data would back that up. I'm mad I didn't think about it. But we can blame Yay. it on, we can blame it on my youth. Blame it on the youth. <laughs> so much right. That was your three? Four. Or your, four. That was your four. Okay. Four. My three was Harry Potter. So what was your okay. three? Ebooks. Oh, that was my two. That's the whole thing. Ebooks. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so let, let's maybe let's walk through it for a second. Was it as big of a deal as people thought when ebooks first started? Yes and no, I mm-hmm. would say. What hasn't been a big of a deal is self publishing. I think that's remarkable. I think, oh, go ahead. Did you, I can hear you intaking to say something about that. Oh, yeah. I think, I was just going to build on it has and hasn't been. Like, they sold 3 million Kindles after the Mm -hmm. first, like, full year of it. But ebooks are still only 30% of the American book market. And some Um, genres are huge. I mean, I think part of the romance, the normalization of romance has to do with ebooks. It's it's cheap and easy and a lot more voices and, you know, genre has done very well with ebooks on the whole i think the thing that we didn't really understand at the time and no reason not to is like how a lot of readers heavy readers especially like you and me integrate ebooks into our life it Mm -hmm. it it adds rather maybe it's it has replaced certainly some print if there wasn't available but i still buy print um it became a part of the firmament it didn't replace the firmament it has not done the thing and as much as i rant about ebook pricing it has not seemed to have meaningfully changed the economics of books for good or for ill but in terms of the actual words getting into people's eyeballs, it's a third of the books. Yeah. It just is. So that's three for me. Anything yeah, else on I think, ebooks? Yeah, when it when I mean when ebooks were really surging, like the first Kindle came out in two thousand seven, but it was really two thousand eight and two thousand nine yeah. where when when Kindle was becoming a thing. It was by the end of two thousand nine, right. Amazon had sold three million Kindles. That was also like near the end of my individual blogging career is when we were getting like book riot was yeah, a, a twinkle right. in your eye and i remember bea those years being yeah. very much in, like the publishing atmosphere was a like what is what are ebooks going to do to us are we doomed is this going to cannibalize print mm-hmm. like will no one ever read a print book again are we going to have to make all books 4.99 or whatever cuz yep, everyone right, is used to right, right. ebooks there was a real we colluded is, we had we had publishing yeah. collude because yes, you're so fucking there was nervous. a real the sky is falling thing mm. around ebooks and and i think publishing was right to recognize that there it was like a, a time before ebooks and a time after <laughs> that it was a real marker of change but not the kind or or the degree that they were anticipating that they were afraid of i think that fear of it in publishing and the resistance to the change because of that fear meant that ebook adoption was slower and that some of the progress around reading technology was slower than it could have been um 
access, like ebooks open up access in a variety of ways to people, both in terms of providing ways for people, like you can bump up the font. So if you are Amazing. have a visual imperity, you can make the font bigger. You're not just limited to the very small percentage of books that are published in a large print edition anymore. But in, in terms of physical access, that you don't have to live near a bookstore to get or the library. books that you want. Most or of my ebooks are libraries. Right. You don't have to live yeah. near a bookstore or a library to get the, the books that you want and you can read anything that has been published. <laughs> like that's, literally anything. It's, it's huge. And that, that that progress could have happened faster if publishing had been, you know, less scared or less resistant is that's the kind of lesson I think you only know in hindsight. It's one that mm -hmm. when there's inevitably another disruption in format for books, whenever that happens, I hope the industry takes that as a note. Like we can Metaverse. We, we're gonna we're yeah. gonna go to the bookstore oh, and the metaverse I God shoot not. me now. Please no. <laughs> it is my deep desire to never enter the metaverse. I <laughs> no kids. So let's just let's just hope for that. But just it, it's huge. And that that happened 2007, 2008, 2009. Yeah. And really a decade later is just an integrated given part of the reading landscape. Totally normal. Totally normal. Yeah. In, in, in fact, having a Kindle now is kind of like an old person's move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not cool. It's, you know. Having for the younger listeners e out yeah. there, some some context for the worry about ebooks. Oh right. The specter of Napster was still real in That's ninety right. in, in two thousand five, six, seven, eight. What Napster had done to the music industry was very are, are we gonna download Da Vinci Code from LimeWire and mm -hmm. just read it for free? Piracy I know continues to be a thing, but I don't hear about it that much. Um, I know every now and again, we'll get an author on Twitter being like, pirating my books, just pay for them, whatever. But it seems not to have been a big deal. We've had Scribd, we've had Oysters, we've had Kindle Unlimited. Book sales, are, unit sales are still up year over year. Yeah. Um, again, pandemic lumpiness aside. Um, but I think some of that is also related to my number two pick, which I actually, I, I sweated over this. You can probably <laughs> see where I'm going. Uh -huh. I slotted audiobooks above ebooks. Oh, okay. I left audiobooks off my list and I knew you would have it on here. <laughs> and and the reason I think is that I don't think ebooks added to market share. I think people that moved to print, maybe it did a little bit, but audiobooks is a different paradigm for consuming books. It's completely different. It's a different user. It's opened up different parts of your life to book reading. This is true for me and I'm a huge book reader. Different parts of my life got opened up for reading. And that hasn't ever been done in the history of books since the press mm -hmm. that you could then. And now, again, audiobooks were around, but they were 900 CDs to listen to Stephen King's Ascent. <laughs> so really, it's the e audiobook paradigm as enabled by cellular technology, everyone having a smartphone and basically, MP I think they're all MP3s now, but digital format. So you didn't have mm -hmm. to muck around so i'm guessing i'm saying digital audiobooks is really what i'm putting here is what yeah. i'm saying digital audiobooks it's a huge it's added to the list it's a bigger more dollars are spent on audiobooks than ebooks i don't know what to say about it that's the right the reason i put it above ebooks that's interesting yeah i i was looking at percentages instead of like the raw dollars and the mm -hmm. number i that i had landed on was like about eight percent of book sales are audiobook which mm -hmm. maybe if that bumps up perhaps if they're if you're thinking about the subscription services it's the fastest growing 
yes. segment of publishing. It has been for like 10 years. And, and it has been, but it's also the smallest, so it has the farthest room to go. I think you're right about it opening up. I mean, you, you are right about it opening up spaces in people's lives where they otherwise wouldn't have been reading or consuming book material. I don't know. And I certainly love audiobooks. I just got to a like, hmm. No, it's fine. Know. It's my list. Yeah. It's not yeah, right. It is your I list. mean, it's <laughs> righter than yours, but it's not right. No, I'm um, but that for, interesting. To it's just uh, when the thing that really got me was opening up parts of your life yeah. for book reading that hasn't been open, and that's never. Everything else has been using your eyes to read text of some kind. That's true. At, at scale, and yeah. you could put your yes, I know you could have put your CD in your F one fifty and listened to Louis Lamore. I know, but that's not what I'm talking about here. <laughs> and that it, was a it, miserable it, it experience. Be, it needed to be triangulated with cellular technology and your smart device. Mm-hmm. It really did to unlock the full potential of listening to books. And this, and this happened really. I mean, people talk. I mean, I'm sure Facebook buying Instagram was the best acquisition of the digital era. But the best acquisition in the book space of all time was Amazon buying Audible for a billion dollars in like 2004. Just an unbelievable acquisition. So audiobooks, they're great. I listen to them all the time. I'm going to listen to them about an hour when I'm driving home. (laughs) I love it. Well, I think our number one has to be the same thing. Yeah, I put it as original recipe Amazon. 1996, <laughs> buying book, buying print books online Amazon. That's what I had. Yeah, I just had Amazon as a thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah, original recipe that they launched in 94. By 96, there's already a million customers. This changed access to books. It changed distribution channels. It changed pricing. It changed yes. how publishers think about all of these things. This is the biggest disruption pro- that we're going to see, I would think, in our lifetimes. Um, it's hard to imagine. I was trying to imagine something bigger. I was like, I mean, th- how how big would TikTok have to get? Just to look <laughs> at something like if you're betting, it's like picking and, stocks, right? If you're buying an up and coming stock right now, I just don't see how you, and, I don't know. I, I don't say do. Like even if TikTok got bigger, how could it change the way we get the books, you know? And just all, all of it. It's the technology. It's the access. Yes. It's sixty percent of the U.S. book market, and they dominate. It's just unbelievable. And then sales. more of audiobooks, audiobooks, self-publishing. Yes, it's hard to wrap your mind around, and not for nothing. Amazon and Bezos used the particular structure of the book selling business to launch the most valuable company that's ever existed. I, yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, discounting and. Barnes and Noble. I I don't. I've read the everything story. I've read a lot of the Bezos stuff. Did he look at Barnes and Noble and goes, "What if Internet too?" Like, how much was the discounting, big box, increasing selection? When I interviewed Mike Chaskin for Annotated, he talked about Amazon being the natural endpoint of getting the right book to the right user as fast mm-hmm. as you could. Yeah. Um, and Barnes and Noble was like, "Well, what if you came to us?" And Amazon is like, what if we came all the way to you? No, yeah. I'm serious. I mean, what if we I mean, got yeah. the book all the way like, to you tomorrow? I've, I've read, probably. I think we've probably both read a lot of the Bezos mm-hmm. history stuff. And of course, that's all filtered through what he's willing to tell people. Yeah, sure. Um, but the way that I think the like elevator pitch is he, w- he could see that the internet was going to be a thing and he didn't want to miss out. And had drafted a list of, I think it was like five or six industries that he thought were ripe for doing something like this. Um, And books was one of them. Probably, I think, uh, in terms of just like a single type of product that that a store would sell, you've got 
there aren't many other examples of that where it's like this store sells one type of thing. <laughs> this store just sells yeah. books, right. you know, yeah. and that uh, there's a bajillion of them available in the universe. But this store is limited by shelf space. And so the, the amount of foresight to see if I do this, I can open up the variety and kind and mm -hmm. number of this product that people get when you step it out of books like it's not jeff bezos is evil and wanted to kill books he wanted to dominate a space in a way and and bookstores because they are so limited by the physical capacity of the store yes they're because there are so wonder. many books rebecca right. there are so many like, books and you know like to use my one of my like hardware store examples or you know a department store example like there's a lot of vacuums sold in the world and they can't keep all the vacuum models that are available in the world in any given department store but they can keep a pretty good percentage of them <laughs> And books, you can carry like less than a tenth of a percent of any title on a given day. Like I could go back and dig out in my emails where years ago when we interviewed our, our friend Josh Christie, who owns a bookstore in Portland, Maine, I had asked him about how many titles do they stock in the store and yeah. he knew the number. And then we had run the math on what percentage of even just books that came out that year <laughs> does their shelf space or does any bookstore's shelf space account for an Amazon found a way around that limitation and yeah, and right. then they found a way around that limitation for all kinds of other products and then other stores that had only been existing in physical spaces followed suit and found their own ways around those limitations so that now it's not just the three dyson models that are available at target you can go on dyson online and pick out whatever of their bajillion mm -hmm. vacuum models it's it's impossible to understate <laughs> i think the impact of this and that's not to say that all of the sequelae of amazon have been positive no 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 absolutely right yeah but amazon as a thing period and amazon as a thing for books are are two different questions and in terms of what it did for books and readers I, it's a hard argument <laughs> you know i can mm -hmm. make points on both sides but i think readers are generally better served than not by the fact that this so. disruption happened and we largely come to this, e even though what we do for a living as consumers of the publishing industry's wares, mm -hmm. not as a producer of it. And I, I'm right. sure if you're a publisher, your list looks a lot different. I'm sure if you're an author, your looks a lot different. I think that's a segue into like things that didn't make our list honorable mentions. Mm -hmm. Because one mm -hmm. thing that didn't make my list, and maybe if I'm, uh, I don't, I don't know, may maybe if I'm um, uh, the head of an imprint at Hachette or something. It matters more, say, um, consolidation in the publishing industry. That might matter. Mm -hmm. That might matter more. Maybe the the death of the book review does matter more, right? The New York Times having a cover Sunday review for a literary novel, making it onto the hardcover fiction bestseller list, maybe topping it for a while, a make book quality to the mainstream media mm -hmm. and publicity. The atomization of how books are talked about makes a publicist's job extremely hard, makes a marketer's job extremely hard. But we don't live in that world. We got plenty of good books right. to read. So a lot of it is down yeah. how we get the books and how we decide and what our experience of them, not which of those books make it to us. But if you're on the right. supply side, it's a lot different. I'm sure it's a lot different. Of a, yeah, I think our uh, our perspective as prosumers is an integral part yes. of how we arrive at, at this list. Because, right, like Penguin and Random House merging, not on the list. Borders not the list. closing, not on the list. Not on the list. Big things no. that happened, but that didn't, I don't think changed a reader's living experience of reading life and that's where i was coming to this list from right yeah in terms other things that didn't make the list i guess i would have surprised been surprised in 2007 that 
still 15 years later, from my prosumer consumer's point of view, self-publishing doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It just effectively doesn't matter to me. Neither does print-on-demand. Remember how big a deal print-on-demand <laughs> was going to be? Those espresso yeah. machines. Yeah. yeah, those espresso machines. Turns out if you get the ebook instantly, I don't need to w- even wait for the book to be printed, and it takes a million years. The quality's not good, and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. That's one. One that didn't make the list. Some some of it is like nooks and crannies of like what's changed and what hasn't, but like the resilience of the independent bookstore as a property, both as a cultural idea and as, as a commercial venture, has been more resilient. Remember that everyone, well, you and I remember the bookstores are dead. Indie bookstores can't survive. It was true for a while. There was a dip and there's not as many as there used to be, but there are thriving bookstores in a lot of places. People Mm -hmm. care about them and they patronize them. And then even we've seen since then the rise and flourishing of other online book retailers. There are other places you can buy books online that are on an Amazon. I'm not sure, Rebecca, six years ago, I would have said, can you name seven other places to buy books online that are profitable businesses? Mm. I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I've, I would have taken that bet. And there are books that yeah. are places that are growing and they do things a little bit differently. And whether that's having used books or bookshop.org or other kinds of ideas, that's a thing that's really been um, resilient. I'm trying to think. What, what? Any other honorable mentions or almost or things that popped into your mind when you were yeah it didn't come it didn't even come close to making the cut but I was along the lines of book retailers online thinking about the proliferation of used book sales and not just used book sales but like peer-to-peer stuff like is paperback swap still a thing where you don't even (sighs) pay for it but you like earn I think the way that worked or maybe still works was like you earned credits for like you sent someone a book and then you got to trade it in for for getting someone else to send Mm -hmm. you a book, just one of the many peer-to-peer kinds of things that the internet made possible. And so books touched that. Um, I thought about, oh, explorations in all-you-can-eat sort of book things, because but we never did. We never did get the book version. Just like enhanced eBooks. I had a similar thing as like, they thought small demons, enhanced eBooks, Oyster, a lot of potential futures where eBooks were the railroad on which the train cars of publishing Mm -hmm. ran. A lot of lot of tracks to nowhere. Um, interesting. Yeah, the like, audiobooks I think became the enhanced ebooks. Is, right. Yeah, I, I think, think audiobooks right. became the enhanced ebook um, mm-hmm. that people didn't understand was going to be the thing. Um, things that weren't a thing. Well, I'm not really sure. Uh, subscription book purchasing, the literatis, mm-hmm. the alcrates, mm-hmm. um, TBR, I guess for example. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, Colleen Hoover has Bookworm. There's there's a lot of fantasy, romance, book subscriptions. I don't have any sense of the market for that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, think, I know there's a lot of them, but I don't know how many units get sold through those channels. I didn't really think about those. I think because that's a just our segment of a bigger bubble that's happening in yeah. marketing and, and retail right now is subscription. You can subscription anything. Right. No, that's right. Well, social media anything, too. I mean, I yeah, guess it's kind true. of a similar thing. One I didn't have a pre uh, before the before the breaking of the world sense of is Costco, Walmart, Target grocery store book sales. Oh, yeah. I know there were grocery store book sales before, mm-hmm. but like Target being a place that has a book club and has like upmarket commercial fiction cover out. I don't remember. I don't. I don't. Did Walmart I just have don't remember. where the crawdads sing in '92? 
like those are kind of like did it what would have been the book in 92 i can't even even before my time did it have mr and mrs bridge or the bridges of madison county that's that's the one i'm trying to get the bridge yeah. a pre a pre amazon pre really pre barnes and noble way did barnes and noble force those places into carrying books did they see that books were things people would buy target is a thing since i was a kid target wasn't yeah, around same. when i was six seven eight walmart as well but like the other major big box retailer having a, a book buying and then Costco having and Sam's Club having, you know, commercial fiction out there being sold. I don't know. That's that was a head scratcher for me. Yeah, I, I don't know. That I just either. don't remember well enough. I, and I remember like grocery stores having mass market paperbacks, but that's yeah. different than what we're talking about here with you can get your hard covers of new things and the. The fact that like the celebrity book club thing or the curation, maybe there's a, a way into this something on this list about like curatorial something mm -hmm. that whether it's like reliance upon a celebrity book club or the Costco picks or whatever. I think it's another all of these are many of them are downflows from Amazon existing and just the access right. to so many things all the time. But then having to trying to narrow it down. And one of the ways that that some readers have narrowed it down is by paying attention to book clubs or curators or influencers mm -hmm. or what have you yeah that's my list rebecca this anything else you wanted to mention yeah this is really fun uh really eye-opening and i guess um that as we got towards the top the picks were so kind of obvious right or they were kind of flowing from the same place it's so i mean the internet right i mean you kind of hit the nail on the cloud head of like it's everything <laughs> and nowhere mm -hmm. um that's so important I, and i wonder in 20 years will people remember the days will, will people think about all, all the days when there were no audiobooks and ebooks will people register yeah. as, do we even register it now or or will know. they will they talk about tiktok and book talk 20 years from now the way that we're talking about oprah today yeah. right fascinating, fascinating to see all right. Uh, send us your, you know, you can comment on the, the post if you want. You can also send us an email. Someone asked recently what if they want to give feedback. They were doing Patreon messages. I think it was Ashley. Thanks, Ashley, for asking. I still think emailing podcast at bookriot.com. I still check that the most. Um, I will get a notification that there's a message in Patreon. It's hard to respond to. I'll definitely see it, but uh, I tend to look at the email first yeah, and foremost. Just I check the Patreon tip comments. For all you folks. And messages. So just it depends on uh, timeliness, I guess. <laughs> but if you want to yeah. make sure it gets straight to where Jeff is keeping track of things, the email is best. Are you prediction this unfounded prediction? Are we closer uh -huh. to the peak of TikTok's ascendancy or do we still have miles to go uh, mm. and degrees of ascent to go? I, I have a two-part answer. Do you mean, well, yeah. I guess I have, first I have a clarifying question. Do is you mean TikTok? Is it two TikToks? things with you? you have two, <laughs> it is. Two things, two things, two okay, things Shinsky. Um, are you talking about the ascendancy of TikTok or BookTok? BookTok, BookTok. Oh, okay. I think, we're near the, I think we're near the peak because I think TikTok is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger for a while as mm -hmm. these platforms do when they are the hot thing. And the bigger it gets, the more diffuse all the stuff gets and the harder it is to concentrate fragmentation attention yeah. yeah 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 i wonder what the next the, the thing that got me excited was to think about what's the next uh da vinci code harry potter mm -hmm. gone girl mm -hmm. 50 shades we haven't we haven't had one in a while doesn't it feel that way when's the last when's the last one of these gone girl 2012 that's I that's think 10 years yeah unless you reset 
the threshold for it to be something crawdads. more like crawdads. But God. in just in terms of being in the cultural water and people talking about it, like everybody read where the crawdads sang, but I remember when Da Vinci Code came out and then also Fifty Shades of Grey seeing like morning shows were doing segments on the content yeah. of those books. And I don't think that happened. Before they were movies, before they were right. TV shows. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. And I even like... if Martin produced The Winds of Winter Tomorrow, it has the confounding factor of the media mm-hmm. property, the, the big yeah. media properties. Yeah, I think it, I like that it's unpredictable. I think we both like this, that you that you can't guess or engineer what the next one of yeah. these is going to be. I want to have one, from. though. I miss how much, how fun it would be. It is fun. It's fun to have a big monoculture, the, the mm-hmm. mono eye of culture yeah. turn its eye toward book for, for a little while. Yeah, and it's just fun to have that big moment and where everybody's talking about the thing and you're going to read it and have your own opinions about it, but also like see other normies out in the world yeah. who don't do this for a living. Right. Reading that big thing and, and taking it in. It's cool to see that happen with a book. Yeah. Anyway, thanks all. Thanks, Rebecca. We'll talk to you in 15 years and update our list. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tip it off right now. Hard to see something ro- knocking original recipe Amazon off the top perch. Yeah. But boy, if it is, we'll have it's something a big to one. talk about. It'll <laughs> I'm be a, a big, big surprise. One. Yeah. Talk to you guys later.